All right, at this time we'll have our first message, uh, and this is a message from Mr. Mark McGarvey entitled Kingdom Plan. Mr. McGarvey. That better? There we go. Raise it up a little. There we go. Well, here we are, day two of the Feast of Tabernacles 2020, and it is good to be here. Beautiful, crisp, fall, autumnal morning. So I want to start by um, talking about the, uh, just briefly about the current situation that's going on with the election 2020. Uh, who's been watching any of that? Who's fed up with it? It goes on for way too long, doesn't it? I mean, two years of campaigning. It's ridiculous. It should be like a, two or three weeks, and that's it. But, um, and last week, watching these, these two guys going at each other. What's your favorite color? Blue. No, that's, that's, no, that's, that's horrible. My favorite color is green. Forget it. No, it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, anyway, two, two men vying for the most powerful position in the world, though. Um, President of the United States. And this position and this governmental system is the best the world has to offer. And I truly believe that. And now, I've been here since 2002. I'm originally from Britain. Not from Arkansas. Okay, this is a British accent. Not, tex not Texas, either. Not Texas either. Um, but I've been here since 2002, and uh, I became a U.S. citizen in 2009. <laughs> Glad to be here. Raise, my wife is from here. She's from Oklahoma and raised my two kids here, Owen and Lily. And uh, I love America, always have since I was a kid. Um, my family came over here in 1988 for the Feast of Tabernacles, went to um, uh, Pasadena, and uh, we had a month the country, went to, saw all of California, uh, <clears throat> and then we stayed with some friends we had in Washington, D.C. for about a week, and that was awesome, too, seeing, seeing that uh, part of Maryland, um, and the last day before we flew back to London, uh, we, we had, uh, went down to the uh, Manhattan, went to the World Trade Center, and went up one of the Twin Towers, um, 13 years before they came down, so that was, that was uh, memorable, too. Um, but I've always loved America, glad to be here and raise my kids here, beautiful country. Um, and the Constitution of the United States, the Bill of Rights, especially the First and Second Amendments, are the best example of a government structure that was put together by some of the most brilliant minds ever. And I believe they were divinely guided to be together, to get together at that time, 240 odd years ago. Um, just, you just say the names, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, uh, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, um, Andrew Hamilton. <clears throat> Great minds, brilliant men brought together to create the Constitution, Bill of Rights, and, and initially, of course, the Declaration of Independence, which they knew was a death sentence 
if they carried it through, but they were prepared to hang, uh, to, go through, to go through with it. So, um, but they were brought together at a time to win this country's independence and creating a government that was designed to give its citizens individual liberty. And of course, 80 years later, the Civil War happened and everything else, and it hasn't been a perfect um, union for the last 200 years, but, but we try, and I think um, out of all the free countries in the world, we are the best. So. But w from what we read in the books of Daniel, um, Isaiah, Zechariah, Revelation, we can gain an insight into the kingdom of God and the governmental structure he has planned for it. We get a glimpse throughout the Bible into the mind of God and what he has in store for us in his glorious kingdom. As it says in Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I just want to focus on the first couple of lines here of, of verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I want to look at today how there is a pattern throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament of how God will set up his kingdom, how he set his plan in motion thousands of years ago, and what his government and kingdom will look like. And that's why we're here, after all. We're here for the Peace Tabernacles, to look forward to that time. And what we have to go on is, in the scriptures, when we meet Christ in person at his second coming, he will fill in all the other gaps. He will tell us the full story and reveal to us his plans for the millennium and beyond. And it's always interesting, because it's in the book of John, I believe, where if all the books were written about Jesus' life, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to hold them all. And that's a really interesting statement, because what we have is a bunch already, but you must remember there was 30 years of his life before his ministry, which we don't know much about apart from when he was born and when he was 12 when they went to Jerusalem. But what we have is, is in the scriptures, but there is so much more, which would be really interesting to know what a bunch of those stories are and what happened. But one day we'll get to, we'll get to ask these people, these characters of the Bible, ourselves, what really happened and what, what did we miss? So it'll be interesting. As Steve mentioned in his message on Day of Atonement, Satan is banished at the start of the millennium. And that's a very important part of it because he cannot be a disruptor. Like you said, Steve, on atonement. He can't be a bad influence as Christ begins his reign. You see, Christ is the cornerstone, isn't he? In ancient buildings, the cornerstone was first situated on the foundation and, um, and then all the other stones were aligned to it. Like, for example, I'll give you a personal example here a few weeks ago. In fact, all summer I've been working on a backyard shed. Um, and I finished it off a few weeks ago. Um, it's not completely done yet. It's an ongoing project. But um, I put the shingles on the roof uh, about two, three weeks ago, about three weeks ago. And, you know, putting the shingles on, I had to start at one point. So I started, and, and roofers will, do, will start top down or bottom up. It doesn't, there's no real true method. So I decided to start from the bottom corner, and then I put my shingles, start in that bottom corner, went across, I had to have a couple of straight lines to make sure I'm in a good, good line, 
and then you overlap the shingles one after the other, and I worked my way up to the top of the, uh, the roof. And it's only a short, small 8x8 roof, but um, yeah, I had, if I started in the middle, it would have been a mess. It wouldn't have been a pitch pad, you know, a jigsaw puzzle, and it wouldn't have worked. You can't do that. You've got to start in a certain corner, whether it be top or bottom, and work to it. Like the cornerstone in a building in ancient times was in the corner. All the other blocks and stones were aligned to it. And Jesus is our cornerstone, the cornerstone of the Christian faith. None of this is possible, the plan for the kingdom, without Jesus Christ. He lived and he died and he rose again and saved us by that sacrifice and he will be our king of kings in the millennium. He will rule the earth from the time he sets foot on the Mount of Olives and his reign will begin literally then and physically. He'll be on the ground as it were and he will first destroy all those gathered to battle him in the valley of Megiddo, as it says in Revelations, and he moves forward from there. And Jesus will set up Jerusalem as the new world capital. Never mind the capital of Israel, Judah, the world capital. And let's look at uh, another scripture here. This is going to be Isaiah chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3. I'm going to turn to this in my Bible. Isaiah chapter 2. Verses 2 and 3. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, the mountain of the Lord's house, it shall be established. So the government of God will be established above all other governments that have ever been on earth. His will be the greatest, the number one. And, as it says, Jerusalem will be the capital. That's where he'll work from. That's where it all will focus from. This city will take over, take precedence over, you know, Washington, D.C., New York, London, Paris, Berlin, Rome. And who knows how many of those cities will actually still be standing when Christ returns. The word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. All the world will, all the world will know it and will not be able to hide from it. Let's read another festival scripture here in the book of Zechariah. I'll go to Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah 14. And I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 9 initially. Zechariah chapter 14 and let's begin in verse 1. Is that it up there? That's Isaiah. Give you a second there to get that one. Yeah, initially, I'm, I'm, I might not do the whole 18. I might just do a few bits here and there. Okay. Okay, all right. That'll work. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem, 
Now, this, this is important. This is all going to happen. And this is uh, prophesied by Zechariah. What's going to happen at the end here? For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north, and half of it toward the south. Verse 5, Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal, or Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. And it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night. But at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And you have to ascertain that it's going to be light because the light of, of Christ returning and his brilliant, glorious shining. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half, <coughs> sorry, and half them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, and his name one. I'm going I'm to pause right there. <clears throat> so everyone will go to Jerusalem to worship the king, or their land will suffer the consequences of having no rain. And this is further over in verses, I'm going to go verses 16 through 18. Just jump a few verses there. Verses 16 through 18. There we go. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles every year. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's some speculation as to that specific area, specific areas where they do, do not come up to keep the feast, will there be no rain? Or is it going to be one part of the world where everyone will go to? We, it's not specific and there's lots of speculation as to how that will work. But there'll be no rain. Those people will suffer for not coming up to worship the king and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And, but these verses boggle the mind in the sense of how could, how could anyone deny that Jesus had returned at this point? You know? The whole world will have seen it. Jesus Christ has returned. It's not some crazy alien or something weird. Jesus Christ, God, has returned. And the whole world will see it. And to deny it at that point, there's going to be serious problems for those people. So God's plan for the kingdom began a long, long time ago. God created Adam in his image and set him in the Garden of Eden and gave him a wife, Eve. Adam had dominion over the animals, as it says in Genesis 1.26. He had dominion over the animals. Was this a prototype of the kingdom of God? 
Some say yes, some say no. The animals weren't trying to eat Adam and Eve. That was one good thing. Okay. The, so then their nature would have been tame. And the first couple would have lived off the land. God created an earth rich in resources. I'm not talking about oil and gold and all that other stuff, although that is there too, and coal and so on. But the resources in the sense of plants, flowers, vegetables, fruit, trees, and rivers and lakes which would have been pure and unpolluted and that they certainly could have drank from. And after the world is virtually destroyed before Christ's return, the water won't be drinkable and everything else will be almost unedible, I imagine. In the sense of how pure and glorious it was in the Garden of Eden, it's going to be a vast different contrast at the end times. Rivers and oceans turn to blood. It's going to be, it's going to be horrific. It's going to be hard. And, uh, but it's got to happen. It's part of the plan. So Adam and Eve sinned and set in motion the plan for all human beings that we will all sin and someday we will all die except for those that are alive at Christ's return. So God the Father and God the Son's plan was in motion. God the Son would come to earth and sacrifice himself into this world to live a sinless life and to die as a sacrifice for us and be our savior. This had to happen. There was no other way. So there are examples for us in the Old Testament where God created circumstances where we can get glimpses of his plans for the kingdom. And I can't go through everything right now. I'm going to mention a couple. Of course, I just mentioned the Garden of Eden. Um, Abraham and the covenant God, that God made with him, which is in Genesis. I'm not going to turn there right now, but Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, the, what's called the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abram, as it's called, where God tells Abraham, or at the time his name was Abram, that God will bless him, make his name great, make him a great nation, and through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And how is that important to the end times and the kingdom? How does it tie into all that? Abraham was an integral part of God's plan, a great man of faith who had to exist because Christ's lineage went through had to be there. His story had to happen. Moses and the Israelites gained their freedom for 40 years in the wilderness. And the tabernacle that God tells Moses to build out in the desert is a replica of the tabernacle where God the Father and God the Son reign. The throne of the Almighty, the Holy of Holies, that gives us a glimpse the temple in Jerusalem that David thought about too. And Solomon went ahead and built. There are numerous examples but what do they show? What do they mean? What do all these stories in the Old Testament and some of the stories in the New Testament mean? <clears throat> Firstly, God is in charge. Okay? He is the supreme intelligent being who created this earth in this vast universe. Secondly, all these examples point to his plan, a plan that he set in motion from the beginning, and all along, he was giving us glimpses of what it will be like and what we have to look forward to. God made promises with these great names of the Bible. 
made covenants, and because they came before us as great men and women of faith, God has promised them great positions in the kingdom. The most mentioned one being that David will be king of Israel. And that's referenced in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 9, and Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 23 and 24. David will be king of Israel again after Christ returns. Another aspect of the kingdom we can look forward to is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9. Just one verse, but this is a very important one. Let's look at this. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 9. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9. There you go. <clears throat> they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I'm going to read a quote from my study Bible here on this one verse because this is tremendously important. Quote, In ancient times, the knowledge of the Lord was limited and spotty. There is coming a glorious age in which there will be no limit to access to divine truth. As the waters cover the sea means thoroughly. God will make himself known throughout the earth. End, end quote. There'll be no limit to the level of knowledge, the truth. God will be thoroughly known throughout the world, throughout the earth. He'll be thoroughly known. And this will make our jobs as kings and high priests easier. When the world will accept that there is a God and that he is the ruler of the world, it will make everything easier. And I'm just going to quickly going to turn to a couple of verses here. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. I'm just going to go there real quick. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. You're there already? Okay. Okay, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And then I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, one verse. Verse 10, And have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. We shall all be made kings and priests when Jesus Christ returns. Another couple aspects of our roles in the kingdom of God and his government. And let's look at a couple of other things here. Matthew chapter 19, verses 28, actually. This is a, an important one to look at. What will happen after Christ returns? Just to go to a couple of examples here. And we'll look at what is going to happen on part of his, uh, his great plan. Matthew 11, sorry, Matthew 19 and verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you, will, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, 
judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that the apostles will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And they will have 12 thrones. And seeing as the 12 tribes spread out all over the world, they will have a big task, but it won't be impossible. As spirit beings and truly putting on the mind of Christ, having a spirit of mind, the judgment will be true and correct because it's the same judgment God would have. And then I'm going to look at another scripture here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Two verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Do you not know that this is Paul speaking to the, the people in Corinth? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And that's it, verses 2 and 3. <clears throat> With the divine judgment bestowed upon us, we will again make the right decisions. And give that some thought. As you and I, judging an angel created by God millions of years ago, perhaps, billions of years ago, powerful angels, the messengers of God, the servants of God, the power, the responsibility that will be given to us will be phenomenal. We are in training right now for those positions in the kingdom. We must pray that he gives us strength, that he continues to give us strength now, give us peace now, and show his patience to us as we live our lives now in this world. And sometimes it is awful hard to keep your patience in this world. It really is. <clears throat> so, we ought to be kings and high priests. Kings need a governmental structure, laws, and a constitution to govern by you can be sure it will be the greatest constitution ever decreed, a perfect government, corruption-free, laws that we can live by for eternity in peace and safety. There will be no more crying, no more sorrow. The creator of the universe, the creator of time, who is not bound by time, the creator of us has chosen us, has picked out you and I to live and reign with him in his kingdom. The memories of this world, all its ways, will fade into a distant memory, fade into insignificance, really, because it was imperfect under man's rule from the get-go, wasn't it? And although the United States of America is the greatest current governmental system and structure, it's by no means perfect. We've got to respond to God's call, though, therefore. His kindness towards us, as it says in Ephesians 2.4, just going to turn there real quick. Well, no, I don't need to turn there. I'll just mention it. Ephesians 2, 4. He is rich in mercy. Repent and join his family. He is rich in mercy. He has called us and chosen us to live and rule with him, first for the millennium, the initial thousand years, and then for eternity, for all time. And there will be no end to his glorious government and no end to us living with each other and loving one another and thanking him for choosing us. 
we're there. We will be there because he chose us. So I'm going to go to my last couple of scriptures here to wrap things up here. Um, I'm going to go to, uh, just to sum up God's love for us, <clears throat> his eternal plan for us. I'm going to go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. If I can get there. Where are you? There it is. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. See? Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, he's talking about Jeremiah here, but before we were formed in the womb, in the womb, sorry, God knew us. He had a plan for us. He was ready for us. So he has always known us. He knows our hearts, and he has called us for this time to continue his work. So I'm going to go to my last scripture here which is in the book of Psalm, chapter 33, verses 10 and 11. Okay, Psalm 33, verses 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations the one who has existed forever has chosen us to be a part of his great kingdom plan as we celebrate these days of the feast of tabernacles we should pray more so that much more thy kingdom come so i hope you all have a good feast of tabernacles it's good to be here and i hope this is the greatest feast of tabernacles ever <laughs>